Amen. You may be seated. I hope you know that with all your heart because you're trusting in Him. If God has brought you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know that is true for you. Turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would. We are studying our way through the book of Romans. We've been in the book of Romans since Martin Luther was a baby. Um, We're not rushing. We have so many riches here. We're going we're gonna to see in our text today a short text, but another transitional text. Just like uh, in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 were setting the stage for what would follow. That gospel that he was going to explain that we are all sinners and need a Savior. That Christ has come to save sinners. Died for us, been raised for us, reigning for us. That we can be justified by God, declared righteous on the basis of Christ through faith in Him. Empowered for new life and grown in grace. Dwelling in God's love, seeing how God works that salvation out in all the world through Jew and Gentile and having that hope that someday a people from every tribe, tongue, nation and language will be around his throne. So he set the stage with chapter 1, 16 and 17. Now he's setting the stage for the therefores of the gospel. What difference should the gospel make in my life? How should I be shaped by the gospel? That's what we're seeing. So verses, you're going to want more detail as I go through verses 1 and 2. And I'm not going to give it to you. No, I am going to give it to you. But the detail we'll be looking for starts in verse 3 of chapter 12 and goes through chapter 15, verse 13. So this is setting the stage for that section. So on the basis of the grace, the mercy of God that we've seen in chapters 1 through 11, he now says this in chapter 12. Look what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And when you see that there, that, that's brethren, that, or you could say brothers and sisters. That's the church. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How do we do that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's for God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this word is your word. Your spirit must apply this word. So we pray for that. We pray for the Holy Spirit to take the word of God And work in our hearts. Empower me to speak. Indeed, speak through me, Lord Jesus. In a living voice to your people. And call them to faith and grow them in grace. Grow us in grace, Lord. We look to you and thank you for the treasure of your word. And we pray for you to bless the preaching of it and the hearing of it. Bless us to hear it as the Word of God with diligence, to understand it, with intention to put it into practice. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. Love shapes our life to a large extent, doesn't it? 
flip it. Our lives reveal what we love. What we see in our lives comes out of our heart. And see, I remember that dramatic shift. I only remember my testimony, so I can't share yours. But I remember that change. I was 26 years old. I was enjoying my rebellion. I was loving running from God and all of the things that came along with that until He interrupted my life in a glorious and a gracious way. Opening my eyes to my sin to my need of a Savior and the fact that Christ was that Savior and granting me repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was, it was not in every way, but in a lot of ways, it was as if you threw a switch. So whereas I used to despise the church people and make fun of them and all of those things, man, I, now I wanted to be with them. And where I, I, I never had a, a desire for the Word, suddenly I had this desire to, to know what the Word teaches and to read it and to hear it taught. What happened to me? Well, my affections changed. My love changed. I went from abhorring Christ and loving sin to abhorring sin and loving Christ. From darkness to light. See, God says that that's what He's done. He's delivered His people from the realm of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of His beloved Son. The realm of light. I can't help it, but those old songs radiate in my head. But who do you love, right? That's really the question. That's really the question Romans is asking us now. Do you see this glorious grace of God? Paul is saying that I have written down for you. This is as close to a systematic theology that we'll get in the book of Romans in the Bible. And hopefully you're starting to see a little bit why I say that if you understand the book of Romans, you'll understand your Bible. If you mix that with Hebrews, you really understand your Bible. But our life, Reveals our love. And our love shapes who we are. God knows we are created to love. And we are going to love something. And we are born loving the wrong things. All the while His commandments say, Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He brings us in grace to Himself so that we begin to now love Him and live for Him. Do you really love Jesus Christ. That's a fundamental question that we see starting to show forth as we begin chapter 12. So we've been studying that good gospel theology. And I just wonder, has it begun to in you to enrich you? To grow you in love for Jesus. And therefore to grow you in living for Him. If the Spirit's at work. That theology of Romans chapter 1 through 11 will produce a growing life of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Ian Hamilton says, said it this way. Theology taught rightly and biblically compels action. It cannot leave you inactive. If that gospel theology has been taught rightly and biblically, and if the Spirit has given you eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand, it will not leave you without repentance. It will work repentance in your heart.
See, the gospel is way more than just head knowledge. The gospel should be a complete paradigm shift that changes both our thinking and our doing. It changes our desires, our hearts. Therefore, it changes our actions. If the gospel has not made a positive towards loving God difference in your life, you have not understood it. There's a cheap grace. There is a false faith that will make a profession of faith and yet not be changed. But Jesus said what differentiated the good soil in the parable of the soils was that the good soil bore fruit. The Word bore fruit. A true heart will bear fruit. The Gospel will make a difference. And so we're going to set the stage for seeing what does that kind of life look like. That's what we're going to see in 12.3 through 15.13. And we're setting the stage for that study today. Paul uses a vivid image to get his point across in this text. Living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. The proper response to the gospel is for you to become a living sacrifice unto God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I entitled this, Grace and Duty. We see him mention God's grace and then call us to duty in this text. So our main point, on the basis of God's mercy to us in Christ, our duty. Some of us are allergic to word that word, duty. We'll talk more about that. Our duty is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. On the basis of God's mercy to us in Christ, our duty is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. First, let's look at Christ's call to discipleship. Why would I say that? Well, this is Christ working through his apostle in his church, right? This is not separate from what Jesus taught. This is Jesus calling his church to discipleship on the basis of his mercy. Look at verse 1. Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, just that word in English, appeal, is you see a strength in it, don't you? Don't you? It's not, well, you know, if you think this is a good idea. Usually we have physical movements when we say words like that. Please, I appeal to you. Other translations, I urge you. Old language, I beseech you. When's the last time you used that word? Maybe get a little older, I beseech it for you. We don't talk like that anymore, do we? Exhort you. See, this language here uh, behind this construction is somewhere between a request and a command. It's coming with the authority of an apostle. He's getting ready to say something very important. So we have, I appeal to you to see things this way. I appeal to you to pay attention. I appeal to you. And he doesn't stop there. Look what he says. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Okay. All right. What is that? What we've just studied, right? The mercies of God that he's talking about there is what he's just written in chapters 1 through 11. 
by those mercies that I have just expounded for you. This glorious grace of God that's at work in this world, bringing a people to Himself and has included you so that you have repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has been merciful to you. Listen, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, God has been merciful to you. Very merciful. You don't deserve it. We saw that in the first part, didn't we? That Jew and Gentile are under sin and need a Savior. We all deserve condemnation. But like in Ephesians, but God. He sent His Son. Why did Jesus come? Well, He came first to live. Born in a humble estate. Imagine that. The King of glory coming being born in a manger. In a, in a, in a stable. Not even a Motel 6. In the stable with the animals and laid up in a feed trough. such That, that was a sign to those shepherds because that's not the way you do it. He came to live under His own law and fulfill all righteousness for the glory of the Father and the good of His people. And then He went to that cross to die to pay the penalty for His people's sins. And He rose again the third day from the grave. Appearing, yes, to the apostles, but to more than 500 people at one time. Most of whom were still alive when he wrote Corinthians. They could have checked it out. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, Paul says in Corinthians. He was buried and He was raised the third day. And salvation is through trusting in Him by God's grace. See, even His name is a statement of mercy. You shall call Him Jesus. Why? Yeshua. Joshua. The Lord is salvation. You shall call Him that. Why? Because He will save. He will. Notice the language. Not He might. He will save His people from their sins. Jesus came so that we could have mercy. The humility to receive Him. All of that is a work of the Spirit. The gospel that we've just looked at in chapters 1 through 11. God, look, God took the initiative for our salvation. He's not waiting for you to make the first step to Him. You come up on the street across somebody who's having a heart attack and their heart stopped and they're laying on the ground. If you walk up to them and say, well, if you'll just look at me and, and ask for it, I'll, I'll help you. No, you start doing CPR. Right? We were dead in trespasses and sins. And God has come. He took the initiative to choose us and give us to His Son, to send His Son to live and die and be raised for us, and then His Spirit to make that gospel come alive to us so that we would see our sin, yes, and abhor it, we sang it, and then look to the Lord Jesus Christ and find mercy in Him and adore Him now. Paul says the mercies of God in your life, the mercies that I've just talked about, those are supposed to do, yes, it does something for you, but it's also supposed to do something to you. God's mercy changes us. So therefore we get a duty. Look at this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that we've just talked about. What should I do? Uh, like Isaiah, all of a sudden, here I am. <clears throat> Send me. Yes, Lord, what do you require? But it's my joy to know that because of your mercy in my life. 
What is his requirement? Look at this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your bodies, to present all that you are, not just your mind, not just the inner you, but everything about you is now to be a living sacrifice for me. What does that mean? Well, it means we begin to love Him by living joyfully according to His Word and growing in it. I mean, listen, did Jesus talk this way? Did Jesus say, here is my salvation. Take it and add it to the rest of your plans. Live however you want to and know that you're going to heaven when you die. Is that how Jesus talked? It's not, is it? He who doesn't renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That means die to self. Live for God according to His Word and grow in it. That's how Jesus talked. See, many today are fine with heart religion. And listen, the public wants you to have that kind of religion. Those who don't know the Lord, for the most part, don't want to hear about it. And it's fine for you. That's good if that's your truth. I'm so, people will say stupid things like, I'm so glad that helps you. Well, it's not just true for me. God has sacrificed His Son, and on the basis of that, He commands all people everywhere to repent. So while I rejoice in His grace, I want you to have it. But if you're going to have it, I have to tell you about it. But many today are fine with a heart religion. They want a religion that assures them of heaven and requires nothing of them. They want Jesus to have a cross, but they don't want to have one. They want a gospel that costs them nothing. Listen, preacher, just stand up there and smile and be nice and tell me five ways I can have a better marriage. Especially tell me five ways I can make more money. Five ways to make everybody like me. Jesus said, woe to you if everybody likes you. You realize that? Strong, right? Luke 6, go read it. I'm not mad. I'm just passionate. But see... If, it, if, the, if the gospel that you heard is all blessing and no duty, even if everybody believes it, it's a false gospel. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many that go that way, but narrow is the path that leads to life. Our text reveals a gracious duty to God. Yes, He's merciful and forgiving. And our forgiveness and acceptance with God is based entirely on the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing on ourselves. So we are justified in Christ. But every soul that He justifies, He sanctifies. He changes the loves of people that He saves. So that we go from abhorring Him and loving sin to abhorring sin and loving Him that we sanctify. Present your bodies. 
as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice yourself. Live. Really live. There's no other life than this. Live. Really live. But live differently than you were before you came to faith. Children, if you were saved as a small child, you may not remember your conversion. And this may be grown in grace and maybe all you've ever known. Those of us who came to faith at 26 years old, making the car faster and faster and running in ways we never should have run to start with, missing knuckles and teeth and all that kind of stuff, we, we saw a bit of a change like the Apostle Paul. What, a, what an example, right? Saul, who went, he was killing the church to now he's an apostle. And most of them didn't believe it. It's like <laughs> Barnabas had to get him in. That's how God much God, conversion is conversion. It's repentance, which means I turn from running from God and my heart going this way. I have a radical shift in heart. So a shift in direction now of growing submission to God and a trust in Christ alone as my savior to sacrifice yourself in this way, to be a living sacrifice means to live for Jesus. That's what it means. And Paul uses priestly language here. You know that you're all priests now. The priesthood of the believer, you can offer sacrifices to God that are acceptable. Now, if you're trying to offer sacrifices of atonement, you're off track. Jesus did that. Our sacrifices are sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, holiness and honor to God, which we'll see. But he uses priestly language here. Offer, present, present to who? Your bodies, representing all of you. As a living sacrifice to God. Acceptable. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. This tells us how the love of Christ controls us. His love for us manifested in his life, death, burial and resurrection for us. And therefore, our responding love to him looks this way. For well, the loving Christ, love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died, him for all, all his people. Therefore, all have died in him and he died for all. Here's a purpose statement. What, what do you intend to do? He died for all that in order that so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So it's not a dying sacrifice that we're to make. It's a living one. It's, it's one in which we endeavor to and purpose to now live for his sake because he died for us. See, Christ sacrificed himself for us so that we would sacrifice ourselves for him in this way. A life of love for him that keeps his commandments. A holy Sacrifice. Look at it. This is the only sacrifice that's acceptable. Now, in our justification, we're holy because we're in Christ. In our sanctification, we grow in holiness as we grow in love for Him and, and walking in His ways. But the acceptable sacrifice is a growingly holy life. That's the one that's acceptable to God. And look what it says at the end of that verse. This is your spiritual worship. Without this, there's no worship, right? This is the rational, reasonable response to the gospel. is to love Jesus and want to live for Him. To grieve over it when I fail. And to press into, not just doing things, 
Uh, it's not legalism. It's not outside-in stuff. I, I'm, I'm communing with Him if I'm, if I'm active and I'm alive. I'm communing with Him every day through His Word and prayer and growing in love for Him so that then my life is looking more and more and more like joyful obedience to His commands. Listen, you're not perfect yet because you're not glorified. My question is, are you growing in it? Do you have a desire for it? Do you abhor sin that we sang? Do you abhor sin now and adore Christ? This is our reasonable response. This is our spiritual worship, our rational service. This is how the gospel should change us. So how do we do that? Paul, I see that by the mercies of God, you're calling upon me to be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable. This is my reasonable response to the gospel. So what does that kind of life look like? And we're going to get a big picture snapshot of it in verse 2. And then the details begin to be brought forward in verse 3 and following. Look, number two, our duty as disciples. You're going to see something in this text that you see in Ephesians and all over Scripture. The Christian life is a life of putting off. And putting on. Kids, you go out in the yard and you play. Of course, you know what? I'm amazed. I walk around neighborhoods and I don't see kids playing outside anymore. I'm going to upset you right now. Parents, take the phones and the devices away from them and do what my parents did. Go outside. It's pretty. Go play. Go get some exercise. Don't get them a Sega or whatever the thing is. Get them a bicycle and some skates. And a baseball. Look at him. He's shaking his head. No, don't tell him to do that. I'm not saying it's wrong to play video games, but I'm saying it's wrong to do it all the time. All the kids are leaving now. The Christian life is put off and put on, isn't it? So we'll see put off first. Look in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? Do not be allow yourself to be squeezed into the mold of this world. Do not let the world's pressure make you make your life look no different than your lost neighbors. No different than your lost friends. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world work in you to just keep going the way you were going before you were converted. See, too many Christians want to call them, too many people want to call themselves Christians and, le- and yet live in accord to the standards of the world. I'm telling you, there's a false conversion out there that'll give Jesus lip service, but live like the world. And end up deconstructing in a lot of if we turn from Jesus, we reveal we never knew him, okay? That's what he says in Matthew 7. That's what it says in 1 John. They went out from us because they were not among us. Too many want to call themselves Christians, and that's getting less popular because the church is getting less popular, okay? But there are too many people who proclaim faith in Christ and yet have no problems engaging in intimacy outside of marriage. If you are physically intimate with another person you're not married to, that is a violation of God's commandments. That is adultery. It starts in the mind. You can commit adultery in your head way before you commit it with your life. Sex 
The marriage bed, don't worry, parents, I'm not going too far down this road, is holy, it says in Hebrews. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Oh, well, I just can't bear to call anybody wrong. Well, God can. And He calls upon you to lovingly be light and salt in this context. Your friends are not saved by you being like them and keeping your mouth shut. We are to be light and salt in this world. See, so too many are being squeezed into the mold of this world. They're having intimacy outside of marriage. They're willing to redefine marriage. In God's eyes, marriage is one man and one woman joined together by Him. That's it. You can have a ceremony and marry your puppy if you want to, but that won't be marriage in God's eyes. See... We got to be willing to talk this way. That's why, one of the reasons we're in such a mess we're in. They are men, and there are women, and they are confused. And I have a lot of compassion for the ones who fall into the confused category, which can't redefine what a woman is and what a man is, because you think differently. God created them male and female. It was. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and all the silly jokes you might have heard in your life. Listen, we we get squeezed into the mold of the world by pursuing money and stuff over everything else. We think money's going to cure everything. Makes, Makes things worse a lot of times. We get cavalier about worship when we're squeezed into the world's mold, don't we? You know, as long as nothing else is going on on the Lord's day, I'll be here. Listen, we really need to start fighting back on this. If you're part of a sports team that practices or plays on the Lord's day, you go to worship. And maybe we need to start our own leagues that go back to respecting the Lord and, and, and his, his honor. How about this? And listen, I know it's tough in the Marine Corps. How about filthy language. There's no case for that, biblically. There are people that try to make it. Okay? Now, if you slip up with a dirty word, hit your finger with a hammer, it's not the unforgivable sin. But just to talk like that, because everybody else does, the word says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.29. But only that will be communicate grace to the hearer. So if you're cavalier with your words, be careful. That's part of getting squeezed into the world's mold. There's so many things we could say. People who are squeezed into the world's mold, like I said earlier, they want heaven then, but not holiness now. And listen, this is the scary part. Many preachers are satisfied to leave you there. As long as you'll come and warm the seats and give them money, they don't care. Beyond that, how do I know they don't care? They'll never mention sin, repentance, condemnation, hell, things like that. And without knowing about the bad news, there is no good news. Preacher, there's, there are many uh, self-kingdom building preachers. And this is not just health and wealth people. There, there are some people on the other side who need to be doing better.
It's not skinny jeans and tattoos and cool glasses that make a preacher. It's a heart for God that's willing to speak the truth and grow in it and grieve when we don't. That'll put the word out there and let God decide who loves it and who doesn't and who will stay and who will leave. Look what it says. Do not be conformed to this world. The gospel makes a difference in our life. We don't continue going the way that we went. And that word world there is literally age. Aeon. It means this. Listen to this. The sin dominated death producing realm in which all people included in Adam's fall naturally belong. That's Douglas Moo. I'm sorry, I didn't get a slide for that. Anybody wants it, I'll give it to you. But the sin, the world, when we're talking about the world system, the world that's in opposition to God, the world that has Satan as its God, is that segment of the population that is made up of those who are sin-dominated and their philosophies are death-producing and it's, and it's a realm of all fallen people. I mean, we saw some of this back in chapter 6. Let not sin reign in your life. Why? You're under grace. You're justified. You're forgiven. You're clothed in His righteousness. You're accepted by God. You have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the same power that raised Him from the dead is alive in you. Sin's reign over you has been broken. Now you're under the reign of Christ who enables you. You've been renewed and enabled to grow in grace. So put off, as Paul says in Ephesians, we're putting off sin. But listen, you can't just stop doing something without doing something else. You can't just stop thinking something without thinking something else. So, yes, we're to put off worldliness and put on holiness, righteousness, Christ-likeness. Look at it. It says, don't do this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you grow in grace and more and more and more like Jesus. Literally there, be being transformed. Put yourself in the road of transformation. Because you know that sanctification too is a work of God's grace. We saw that in our definition. But if you want to get hit by a train, you've got to be on the tracks, don't you? You want to be sanctified, you need to be in that realm of sanctification. You need to, why do you think I pressed you all the time to be in the Word? And that means, listen, that don't mean silly things like put this under your pillow. Sleep with it on your chest. That's ridiculous. It's words. God gave us words. You know what you do with words? You read them. And you grow in grace through them. That's it. You want to hear God speak to you? Read His Word. You want to hear Him speak out loud? Read it out loud. This is how He speaks to us. Jesus said, sanctify them by their feelings. Their feelings are truth. Is that what He said? See, some of y'all better get in the Word. You don't know when I'm telling you truth when I'm not. (laughs) Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. The Spirit uses the Word of God to transform us so that we grow in grace and grow in this holiness of life which is defined by this living sacrifice we're called to make. Let me give you a quote. Just a quick one. John Chrysostom, um, early church father, late 4th, early 5th century. Uh, most of his life was in the, in the late 4th. He was called Golden Mouth. 
Now, he didn't call himself that. But evidently, he was a pretty eloquent preacher. So others called him Golden Mouth. But he said this. And this is the question we want to ask, right? How is the body to become a living sacrifice? Yeah, good question. How is that to happen? Now watch what he says. Let the eye look on no evil thing, and it has become a sacrifice. That's going to affect your entertainment, isn't it? Sorry, I'm meddling now, aren't I? Let the tongue speak nothing filthy, and it has become an offering. Let the hand do no lawless deed, and it has become a hold burnt offering. The more our mind is transformed, the more repentant, fruitful gospel fruit we will bear. After all, repentance is a change of mind and heart. And it's evidenced by the deeds which are fruit of repentance. So put off conformity to the world and put on being transformed by the renewal of your mind by the Word of God. The Word is the primary source of transformation. As I said, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth, your Word is true. So he requires that we put ourselves in that path of transformation in the Word. Think about Psalm 1. Right? We've said, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, ex- that's Psalm 1. Go read Psalm later. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Dot, 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 dot. But he day and night meditates in the Word of God. That's the blessed one. That's the living sacrifice. That's what we're talking about. So I'll let you go read Psalm 1. But the primary avenue of sanctification is you being in God's book. And listen, in the day that we live in today, a lot of people might say, I'm not a reader. Well, you're going to have to take that up with God. He gave you a book. No, what you mean is I'm not practiced to read. I'm not, I've not put that discipline into play. I'm not, we expect to not be reading and then to just be able to blow through a book and never lose our concentration. This is a muscle you have to strengthen like any other. Yes, you can. I mean, we live in a day when you can bring the Bible up on your phone and hear it as you read it. That'll help you, right? But we need to be being sanctified, and we need to be being sanctified by the Word. The Word preached, primary means of grace. That sounds self-serving. It's not. It's just the way God does it. His primary means of transformation is you gathered with God's people on God's day, hearing God's Word, and then. Individually and as a family and other ways that we can get that truth in us. But the primary source of our growth in grace, the primary avenue of loving Jesus and being changed by Him is His Word. Number two, the secondary source would be books about God's Word. Now, I'm going to give you a warning here. I'm going to meddle a little bit here. Okay? We are to prioritize His Word. Over others' words. I'm not saying don't read good books on theology and all of that. But see, what a lot of us do is we spend more time in men's books than we do in God's book. And if the primary avenue of sanctification is God's word, that would mean we would spend most of our time here and some of our other time there. 
Whatever sacrifices that requires. Some of us don't read the Bible at all. We just read other people's books about the Bible and about doctrine and theology. You are right for being taken captive when you do it that way. Major here. I did, guys, I didn't tell you to not go read John Owen. Or, or ladies. I didn't tell, I didn't say that. But I am saying don't read John Owen more than you read this. Now, you take that to God and deal with it. I'm just saying. Jesus didn't say, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Yes, we need teachers. We need preachers and we need teachers. So the word preach, this primary means, and you in the word, secondary means. And then behind that, reading other works. And it's good to read other works. But don't spend most of your time there. Major on God's word and minor on other people's writings. And here's the benefit. Look at the end of verse 2. If you're being renewed in your mind by the word, then by testing, you can discern the will of God. You'll know what marriage is and what you fill in the blank. You'll know which way. You'll know what is the good and acceptable and perfect path that you are to walk in if his word is in you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. The, in, the Net Bible says it this way. Be transformed in your minds with the Word, right? So that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. And that word for approving means you understand and agree with what God asks of you in His Word and you strive to put it into practice. You do what Peter says. On the basis of your salvation, make every effort to grow. Peter said, make every effort to grow. It's a discerning and doing the will of God by the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God with Christ in the center. Let me, let me start wrapping this up. God never changes a heart in a way that He does not also change the life. God never saves a person that He doesn't sanctify. God never justifies somebody He doesn't sanctify. Even the thief on the cross had a few moments of sanctification an expression of His love and faith in Jesus. God never changes a heart. Listen, I know some of us will say, well, I know he's a believer, but I just don't understand why he lives this way. I mean, he says he's a believer, but he sure doesn't live in accord with God's commands. You know why? He's not a believer. If our fruit, if our life doesn't bear fruit for Christ, we're not in Christ. Because Jesus said the good soil would produce fruit. 30, 60, 100 on down the line. The God, here's the point. The, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in verses 12, 1 and 2, we're being called to love him. And we'll, we'll add the details to that. See, the gospel that Paul preached produces a growingly obedient faith. That's why you can go look this up later. Look at chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 16, verse 26, where they both say that, the out, that Paul is working towards an obedience that comes from faith. The obedience of faith. When God saves a soul, He puts a hunger in that soul for Himself and His Word. And He calls us to sacrifice our lives to live more and more and more for Christ and thus be a living sacrifice. He is worthy of it. And we are blessed 
to be in him. And we'll get into more specifics as we move forward. But let me end with just a few questions for you. Number one, are you rested in his grace? Are you trusting in, just like I asked them in the water, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? And if you are, you will love him and grow in it. Number two, therefore, are you committed to living primarily for his glory? Are you a living sacrifice? Are you growing in grace? And how do do you know? Do you grieve when you fall short? And are you aiming at living faithfully for him? We have everything necessary for life and godliness, Peter teaches us. You realize you have the same power that raised him from the dead at work in you? What can't God do? See, we, we, we let our... I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, you are a sinner saved by grace, but God calls you a saint that's empowered to love and live for Him now. So do you grieve over sin and are you aimed at living for Him? That's what the gospel works in those who are really rested in His grace. And then the third, and I'm going to start with this vital sign, do you hunger for His Word? Do you want to know Him? Do you want to understand Him, who He is and what He's done for you and what He requires of you? Has he put a hunger for his word in your heart? And is your mind and therefore your life being transformed by it? See, his grace calls us and trains us to live a growingly holy, God-centered life. I'll quote Ian Hamilton again. Theology taught rightly, the gospel. Theology taught rightly and biblically compels action. It cannot leave you inactive. It cannot leave you the way you were. Who or what we love will shape our lives. And if we truly have by the Spirit of God a love for Jesus in our hearts, we will be growingly a living sacrifice for Him. His grace, His mercy produces living sacrifices. And we'll begin to get into the details of that next time. To live is Christ. Lord, we praise You. Thank you, as Paul said, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. We are sinners. Thank you that you work in us by your gospel, the Spirit giving us life through that gospel so that we see you, the King of heaven. We see the mercy available in Christ and we, by your grace, turn and trust in you and then begin living that life of repentance and faith. So shake us, Lord so that we would be even more dedicated to loving and living for You. That we would be even more dedicated to being light and salt in this culture. And to lovingly and patiently and kindly, yet faithfully, taking this gospel to those who don't know You. Lord, bless and work in us this day. Save and sanctify us. We give You all